There was a German pastor named Martin Rinkhart who served in the wall town of Eilenburg during the horrors of the Thirty Years' War between 1618 and 1648. Eilenburg became an overcrowded refuge for the surrounding area, and fugitives suffered from the famine and from the epidemic. At the beginning of 1637, the year of the Great Pestilence, there were four ministers in Eilenburg, but one abandoned his post for healthy areas and could not be persuaded to come back. Pastor Rinkart officiated at the funerals for the other two. As the only pastor left, he often conducted services for as many as 40 to 50 people per day, some 4,400 in all. In May of that year, his own wife died. By the end of the year, the refugees had to be buried in trenches without headstones and services. Yet living in a world dominated by death, Pastor Rinkhart wrote the following prayer for his children to offer to the Lord. And he wrote this. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices, who wondrous things hath done, in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Hasn't this been the common thread of Genesis so far? Now you can, you can look at Genesis and go in a, a couple different directions. You can talk about the depravity of man. You can talk about the sinfulness of humanity. But beyond all of that, more important than all of that is the faithfulness of God. So far we've almost done 40 studies in this book and we've seen how creation, we've seen how God created everything out of nothing and God, in his creation, created the world perfectly for humanity. And inside of that world, he created people. And we saw how the first two humans brought sin into the world. And we also saw how God promised a redeemer to bridge the gap between humans and God, the sin that separated us. We've also seen how people who are often hailed as heroes... But when we look at the biblical record, we see how deeply flawed these people were. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. We've seen women who were victims and victimizers, Sarah, Leah, and Rachel. But more than just these stories, and these narratives have a, a tendency to become mere stories, more than just the stories, what we're seeing here is God's faithfulness. As each turn, people go their own way, venturing into idolatry. And every time, God had remained faithful. Abraham was given a promise, and he didn't trust it. He wanted to help God along, so, so Abraham did some horrific things and hurt people. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham, and like Abraham, he left his home to pursue a wife. But God said to Jacob, one day you'll return. One day you'll come back. Like Abraham, Jacob had to, to wait quite a while to see the fulfillment of God's promises, 20 years in total. And in those 20 years, a lot has happened. Jacob's been married twice to sisters, no less. He's worked for his father-in-law Laban the entire time, something that we see has not been a pleasant experience. He's made Laban incredibly successful, and God tells Jacob... He says, take your wives, 
take your children, go back to Canaan. It's a pretty clear statement, pretty clear command that he makes. Now inside of this narrative, we're going to see two main stories that kind of run parallel. First, we're going to see how to discern the will of God. We're going to look at how Jacob discerned the will of God in three different ways. And we're also going to see how Jacob trusted God. These are things that we deal with every single day. What is it that God wants in my life? And how do I trust God when things don't line up? When things don't go my way? When things are difficult? So the first thing we see in the text, particularly in verses 1 through 16, is Jacob discerning the will of God. It's clear that Jacob did this, but in our lives today, there aren't many things that cause more conflict than trying to figure out the will of God in our lives. So the question is, how does one know the will of God? How do, how do we even get to the point where we know what God wants from us? Now, most of us would have some kind of answer to this, wouldn't we? Maybe you felt a nudging. Maybe you felt a, a comfort or a peace that you couldn't explain and you didn't have before. And so, so you feel like, well, this is God talking to me. Maybe you just knew. Others here would talk about a peace that you had, a, a decision that you make that just simply brought you comfort. Which college should you attend? Should you leave your job and take another one? Who should you marry? These questions are endless. And so some people will, will open up the Bible and they'll flip through and say, you know what, I'm going to wait for God to tell me something here. It never works. I've known people who want a visible sign from God. I'm not making a decision until God tells me this is the right decision. What do we do? Well, based on what we read this morning, what we can learn about discerning the will of God is that Jacob did this. And there was three things that he did that I think are really helpful for us as we try to figure out what God wants. First, and this is supreme, this is primary, the other two uh, are always subservient to this one. It is the word of God. Listen to what God says to Jacob. Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Jacob discerned the will of God by hearing God speak to him. Now, this isn't normative for us today, so how do we hear the word of God? We read the word. If you want to know what God is saying, you open up your Bible and read. Uh, one Bible teacher says this, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read your Bible out loud. It's true. You don't need a voice from heaven. Hey, this is what you need to know. We don't hear those things. We open up our Bible and we read and say, this is what God says to us. Now, Jacob was told by God to go do something. It was a, a clear command to return to Canaan. It's as clear as you can possibly get. It was like what we see in other clear commands in Scripture, to love your neighbor, study the word, protect doctrine, do not neglect the gathering when we worship together. But many of the New Testament commands have been subject of debate, haven't they? How do I love my neighbor? How much do I study the word? Which doctrines are worthy of protection? What constitutes a gathering of believers? Do you see there's some debate happening with those? But the command to Jacob is unequivocal. Go back to Canaan. There's no room for interpretation or questioning. 
We don't have that kind of clarity often when we read scripture. There's, this is why we have Baptist churches and Presbyterian churches and Catholic churches and Methodist and Episcopal. There's a reason because we can't agree on some of these things. But here there's no room for interpretation. But what about us? What do we do when we're faced with a difficult choice? We can't hear the voice of God because that's not normal for us. So what do we do? What happens when one Christian believes that they hear God's will and then another Christian comes in and says, well, I believe God's will is the exact opposite. What do we do then? I've witnessed this. This is why we must be grounded on Scripture first. This is the, the source of our faith. This is the source of truth is God's word. It's not normal for God to speak like to, uh, to people like he did with Jacob. So does he still do that? He can. But how can we know for certain? Anyone who says that God speaks to them must line it up with Scripture first. So we first go to the Bible to see God's will. This is as good as if God was speaking to us audibly. But what about those things that aren't so clear? The Bible doesn't tell you who you ought to marry. It gives you principles. The Bible doesn't say marry this person. The Bible doesn't tell you where to go to college. It doesn't tell you what job to take. What do we do then? And I found that this is where we start to doubt ourselves. We want answers. We want to be told this is what you ought to do. And when we open the Bible and we don't see it, we, we get frustrated. We, we want God to speak to us. Give me a sign. Give me something to tell me what I need to do. So what do we do then? Well, this leads us to the second and third points. And this is a gift from God that he's given to us to be able to discern his will. Number two, and this is what Jacob did. We look at ourselves. We look at our desires. Obviously, we need to be careful of this because our hearts are deceitful and will lead us astray. But it's important to know what we're good at and what we desire. Jacob wanted to go back home, didn't he? Jacob wanted out of his service to Laban. He, he didn't want to work for him anymore. He wanted to leave. He wanted his own life. So if Jacob came to me or came to you and asked you for advice... And assuming that he didn't hear the audible word of God, what would you say to Jacob? Hey, I really want to go back, but what, I don't know what to do. He'd ask him a couple questions. Is your desire sinful? No. Is it immoral or unethical? No. So we know that the desire to go back is not wrong. So if God has told you to do it, then do it. Right? But if God has not told you to do something and you're left with two choices, make a choice and move forward. Otherwise, God would have prevented that. See, here's the thing about God's will. God gets his way. He told Jacob to go back home. Guess what? God's going to get Jacob back home no matter what. You can resist. You can fight. You can battle. And many of us have. God has called us to do something. And we fight and we push and we dig our heels into the ground. But God still gets his way, doesn't he? And this is what was happening with Jacob. But Jacob in his heart wants to go back. And so what happens? God gives us a third way to discern his will. And it's through the counsel of others. We've got to be careful of this one too. Because people will seek to encourage us. Especially when we're not good at something. And I'll give you an example. For years, my mother has told me that I'm a good singer. She, has, she said, you have a beautiful voice. You are a good singer. Reality is I'm awful. 
can't carry a tune to save my life. I don't know how to sing. I, I'm, 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 it's, it's just a mess. I'm surprised the glass is still standing here. It, it is just a brutal nails on chalkboard sound. That's why I need you to sing louder so I can sing a little bit louder so you don't hear me. But for years, my mom told me that I was a good singer. Why? She wanted to encourage me. She wanted to, to not break my spirit. She wanted to encourage me to, to, to be good and to enjoy what I'm doing. She was trying to be nice. Her intentions were good. She didn't want me to feel bad. See, fellow church members, coworkers, family, friends, they'll all do this to us. They'll tell us what we want to hear to encourage us. They, they think that the outcome is, is worth it. It's, it's okay to, to stretch the truth, or as some of you may say, to fib. No, it's a lie. But it's okay to fib a little bit if the end result is positive. So we have, must be careful. But advice may be untrustworthy, but when taken together with a good understanding of Scripture and with a good understanding of our heart can lead us to discern God's will. I was thinking about our leadership here and, and having elders, um, we do not have an elder recruitment ministry for a reason. We, we don't go out and, 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 and recruit guys and have a class to be an elder. We don't do that. Do you know how we find elders in this church? We watch. We look. Are you already doing the work of an elder? The, the three lay elders that we brought in were already doing the work of shepherding, weren't they? So when we brought them before you, it was a no-brainer. Yes, yes, yes. All three of these men are godly men. They meet the standard. We've known them. The church has known some of them for 150 years. Not really. That was a shot at Mickey, sorry. <laughs> Landed flat there. But, but the reality is we knew these men. We watched. We examined. We saw them in service. We trusted them. And the council of the church agreed with that. See, this is what happened to me when I went into ministry. Generally, we don't just say, I want to be a pastor, I'm going to go be a pastor. No, you start to ask questions. You go to people you trust. Should I do this? Am I qualified? Am I capable? Am I good at this? So you can see this pattern with Jacob. Jacob knows that he wants to leave. He hears from God, but then he seeks out the advice of his wives. And what's amazing is these two women who probably didn't agree on anything else agree on this. Yeah, we need to leave. We need to get out. Now this is a pattern that we can follow when we seek out God's will. Above all else, we examine God's word, we study ourselves, and then we ask for counsel. And this is what Jacob did. Now as we go further in, into the life of Jacob, we remember this common theme. That Jacob was often unfaithful to God, but God was faithful to him. The scheme that Jacob had with putting white on the trees to, to help the animals mate, that didn't do anything. The reason why Jacob was so successful was because God made him successful. This was part of God's plan. Look at verse 11. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So through the angel, God spoke to Jacob, reminding him that he has seen everything that's been done. And God says, go. Look what happens next. So Jacob arose and set his sons and wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained. 
the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padanam Aram, and go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear the sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Rachel stole a possession that meant something to Laban, and Jacob lied to Laban. The idols would have been a valuable possession, probably something made out of metal, but probably handed down from generation, but it would have been something of worth and value. Rather than dealing honesty with Laban, though he didn't deserve it, they became thieves and liars who are now on the run. God told Jacob to go, and rather than trusting in the promise, get up and go, Jacob was kind of helping God along, wasn't he? He was trying to help God in this way, and, and it's something that we often do as well, don't we? Think about your own heart. And think about your heart in light of Paul's promise in Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But there are Christians right now who doubt their faith because they've thought they've sinned too much. We're promised wisdom in James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But how often do we give up because we don't have the answers? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But how many times have you heard a Christian say, I don't have anything to offer other believers? See, God's word says you do. God's word says that you've been given wisdom. God's word says that you have, have been given knowledge and ability to go accomplish what God has called you to do. You've been given a purpose. In a way, the struggles and doubts and sins that Jacob experienced are the same ones that we experience. They all come from a place where we simply don't trust the promises of God. And ultimately, the sin in our lives can all be traced back to that point. We do not trust God enough. We don't trust the promise that God has made. So in this story, Laban finds out what's happened, and he chases. Verse 22, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him in the hill country of Gilead. But notice what happens next. Verse 24, but God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob lost sight of what God was doing. He lost trust. Maybe he thought, man, it's been 20 years. I've been serving this man. He, he, he's not friendly. He's not kind. He doesn't seem to care for me. He's lied to me. He's given me two wives when all I wanted was one. I don't want to deal with him anymore. Maybe Jacob thought that there was no way that Laban could ever change. But God spoke to Laban. Listen, if God can speak to a don through a donkey or through a fiery bush, God can use anything to accomplish his purposes. God can even speak to a, a, a wicked pagan like Laban. See, Jacob didn't believe this. Jacob didn't believe that God could work through Laban. You can't blame anyone for thinking that. 
See, we must believe that God is working for us in ways that we don't understand as well. See, parenting kids is a good example of this. I, this has happened to me multiple times and probably to you too. Your kid will ask you for something, usually little ones. They'll ask you for something and you know it's not appropriate for them. Whether it's a movie that they shouldn't be watching. Whether it's going to a friend's house that, you know, is bad news. Or, or doing anything that, that, that could be dangerous, right? And they don't get it. They don't understand why you shouldn't shoot arrows into your neighborhood. They don't understand why you shouldn't play baseball in between crowded houses. They don't understand why the kid who, who's going to say swear words and, and watch movies that are rated R, why your five-year-old shouldn't go to that house, right? They don't understand that. And so we say, no, you can't go. And screaming commences. Why not? That's not fair. I want to go. And then what do we say? Because I said so. Right? We just want to end the argument. We just want to stop it. Just be quiet, little kid. Go do something quietly. Read a book. Leave me alone because I said so. Right? I don't want to have a logical argument with a four-year-old. And little kids are scientifically, it's impossible for them to calm down at this point. We're stoking the fire, aren't we? So they scream louder. And at some point, we, we try to reason with them. And I can't explain, no, you can't go see that rated R movie because it has a whole bunch of stuff that your little brain shouldn't be looking at. And we tell them, you got to trust me. I'm your mom. I'm your dad. You have to trust me. Believe me. I care about you. Understand. See, this is almost what's happening with Jacob and what's happened throughout Genesis is God saying, trust me. You don't understand I do, you got to believe in me. The fruit is coming. Your victory is awaiting you. Hold on. But Jacob hasn't been listening. Laban catches up with Jacob and we see this exchange in verse 26. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me? So that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyre. And why did you not permis, permit me to kiss my sons and daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? And Jacob's response is this. Because I was afraid that you may take my daughters away from me. Here he admits that he ran away because he was afraid. But notice what he says about the charge of being a thief. Now we know the story, right? We know what Rachel did. Jacob doesn't know. Look what he says. He says this. Anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. As you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that there are harsh penalties for crimes. Much harsher than we would have, right? And, and there were really two reasons, or one reason for it is that in the Old Testament, you had a governmental system, legal system, but at the same time, you had God's system. So those two were interconnected. So when you think of the Old Testament, don't just think of separation of church and state. Think of it as an intertwining of, of church and state. There was no distinction. That the people of God were also the people who obeyed the legal rules. So you had legal and God's. And so you had the legal standard and God's standard, which is obviously much higher. 
And so you think, well, okay, death for stealing? This is God's standard. Anybody who goes against God's standard will suffer. See, Jacob doesn't know what Rachel had done in stealing the family idol, so Laban searches through Leah and Rachel's tents and finds nothing. Rachel had hid the idols and said that she was in her menstrual cycle, so she couldn't stand up. Now, immediately Laban's thinking, well, anything that she sits on now is unclean, so I'm going I'm to back away from this. See, Rachel not only now is a thief, she's also a liar to her own father. Now, this foreshadows something that's going to happen in just a few chapters. Do you know when Rachel dies, she dies in childbirth. So she makes a mockery of the natural things that happen in a woman's body, and she dies in a similar fashion to her lie. Jacob promised it, that anybody who stole will die. Now, see, Jacob thinks that the only crime is running away, and so he lets Laban have it. And you can, Scripture doesn't say this, but, but when you're intense, when you're angry about something, your voice gets louder. He's not whispering this. You can hear the, the, the stress in his voice. You just accused me of stealing something that I haven't done. You've looked and you haven't found it. Now, what do you got to say about it? And so Lab, or Jacob lays into him. He says this, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me and cold by night. And my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house, I've served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Laban's not an honorable man at all. But you almost feel sorry for him at this moment. He's the one who's been victimized in this. His family fled. His daughters left, taking away all his grandchildren. And then they stole a prized possession that was probably passed down. And Laban says this, look, these are my daughters. These children are my grandchildren. Let's settle this. This is enough. We can't have this anymore. This may be the last time I see them. This may be the last time I kiss my daughters and kiss my grandchildren. Let's settle this. Let's go in peace. And that's what we see in verse 44. Jacob and Laban make a covenant and the group separate. As we've seen multiple times, this covenant is a foreshadowing of the covenant that God does for us, that God has given to us. Now, look at verse 42. I didn't spend any time looking at this, but I think this could be the main point of this entire chapter. Verse 42. As Jacob was scolding Laban, he said this, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. Listen, God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Last week we saw that Jacob was maturing. We've seen him grow even more in this chapter. Now he's beginning to see in vivid detail the faithfulness of God. 
It's as if in this statement that he makes to Laban that he's remembering everything that he learned from his father and from his grandfather. He, He remembers the stories that he heard about when Abraham took Isaac up to the mountain to slaughter his son, but God stopped him and provided a suitable substitute. He remembers what Isaac would have told him about that day, how shocked he was when he he realized what was happening and how scared he was as his father held a knife over him. Jacob would have remembered the covenant that God made with his grandfather. He would have remembered the stories of that flaming torch moving between the animals split in two. He would have remembered how God was faithful to Abraham. See, Jacob sees that God has always provided for him. He would have seen that God is faithful to but in his own timing. Now, bringing it home to us. I know that it may not seem like God has been faithful to some of us. You may be like Jacob, suffering for many years with what seems like no end in sight. Everything you do, everything in you screams to do something to fix your situation. You may doubt whether God is faithful at all. After all, if he loved you, why would all these bad things happen to you? See, remember the life of Jacob when these thoughts come to mind. Remember that God never left Jacob. Remember that the covenant didn't end because of man's sinfulness. God gave the promise and God held it up. We can have the same hope that Jacob had when we trust in the one that Jacob trusted in. Jacob wasn't worthy of God's love and grace and faithfulness, but God still gave it to him anyway. The covenant that God made would find its fulfillment in Jesus, and Jacob hoped in that promise. All of the Old Testament saints were awaiting the promised Messiah, promised in Genesis chapter 3. Their eyes were set on the future, the day that the Messiah would come to fix everything that we experience. See, when we trust in Jesus, we are made heirs of this promise. The promise that was made to Adam and Eve, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same promise that God has given to us, that he will make things right. It may not seem like it is now. It may seem like everything is flipped upside down. It may feel like the world is against you right now, and sometimes it feels like that, certainly. But the promise that God has given to us is There will be a day when all things will be made right. We await that day when the return of Christ comes and all sin is done away with and all suffering is rid. That we won't experience these things ever again. And this is the promise of God. We hope in this promise. Would you pray with me?